For some people, designing a project can take months or even years. Others find a natural rhythm and build it in a matter of days. This week, I talk with B, one of the lead designers of the free-to-play tabletop role-playing game, Wildebeer, about the writing process, design teams, and how small inspirations can grow into something much, much larger. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover projects you may have missed. This week, I'm here with a really cool project that I recently discovered, and I've been enjoying other works that they've done. B uh, from Wildebeer. Hello. Thank you for coming on, B. Oh, it's been it's super exciting. Can't wait to just talk about a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> you got a, a really fun, very sweet game. Actually, I I've been loving. Uh, uh, World of Wildebeer, it's it's very sweet, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, B, if you don't mind, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm 21. I got into TTRPG stuff about three, four years ago now. A friend of mine in high school invited me uh, for a campaign for my birthday and uh, got into it with 5e, learned other systems existed, and did a 5D podcast called The Frostwalkers, which is technically still going, but we're on a pretty big hiatus right now. So, not quite sure when that'll spring into life once again, but last summer I started Wildebeer, which was really just like a chill new idea just to do something different, and it definitely has become, I guess, my, my big thing now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly has, too. You've made some really cool... Well, you and, I mean, you haven't been working alone. No, of course not, no. Yeah, you've made some really cool little things here for, for this game. Uh, there are a lot of options. Yes, that's the thing I'm very proud of. So, can you tell the audience what is Wildevere? Sure. Uh, Wildevere is a totally free-to-play, and by that I mean it's not... I love when games say they're free, and it's like, oh, we have, like two pages of our basic stuff no like everything we've written for the system is on a google drive that you can find a link to in our card and everything we've written is there <laughs> and you can read every book every like article everything we've created artwork we've done maps we've made it's all there and you can pick it up and play it with your friends right now the rules are pretty simple they're designed to be very free flowy and narrative based and it's just uh, combat-free. There's no hit points. There's no combat mechanics. Sorry if that's your thing. Game that's all about travel and like the breezy kind of fun, imagining what you see kind of travel versus the every five meters you walk, you must roll these many t on these different tables to figure out how well you are walking kind of travel. Very breezy, very... Like, looking back on a summer road trip is kind of the energy I like to imagine with Wilderir. And that's the way I kind of take it, too. It feels like, um, almost like the entire thing's like a coming-of-age game. What was the focus on that? Like, I know there's a lot of combat-centered games, but what drew you to designing something that, from tabletop role-playing standards, is basically unheard of? Well... The fun part about that is it's not really totally unheard of. I got a lot of inspiration from 
Purple Aether Games' uh, Journeys Away. It's a smaller system, and I took a lot of their feel from Journeys Away and kind of that energy. Um, but I would say that was a big part of it, because the podcast, the Frostwalkers, wanted to do a one-shot week with indie systems. And I had gotten Journeys Away through an itch bundle, and so I had... I'd already started to devise a story that took a little bit of Journeys Away, and then I did my own thing with it, because that's what I do with systems. <laughs> and the thing I'd done with it was I'd like... Another show that inspired me was Star Tripper. Yes, Star Tripper. It's a totally scripted narrative sci-fi show, and it takes the main character, Festin, who's this, like, alien from a planet where all they do is, like, boring office work, and he wants to see the galaxy, so he makes off in a ship that is, like, reminiscent of his favorite from when he was a kid, and he just goes on a joyride through the cosmos, and it's these 20-minute short stories that are very cute, and just have a very, like, lighthearted energy to them. And I wanted to capture that in a game. And taking some of Journeys away, I crafted some technology stuff. So that way these, the, the one-shot pitch I was going to give my friends was, this is a one-shot where the characters are running a travel podcast. <laughs> I love that. So the podcast simultaneously is is and isn't diegetic. It is a podcast that exists in the sh in the story of the world, because these kids are hosting a travel podcast of their travels through at the time what was going to be the world of Journeys Away, and that was my pitch. And I was like really interested in that idea and playing with the diegetic state of the show. You know, like NPCs in the world would be able to hear about these characters' show. You know. Like, I don't know, it was going to be a really fun concept, and we were also kind of hunting for our third campaign concept, so part of me was really hoping it'd be this, but Journeys Away had a bit of a fatal flaw for me, which was that the dice system was, like, pooling dice. Oh, so lots of dice, lots of rolling. Lots of dice, lots of rolling, and also lots of... We record the way we're recording right now. Like, we record through Discord. So physics of... Dice pool systems work really well when you have physical dice to pool, you know? And that's just not a reality right now. And it's just never been a reality for our show, honestly. And also, tr even tr there's ways to do it online, obviously. You can do anything, any way you want. It may not be the most optimal way, but you could do it. You could try. But also, coming off the heels of playing 5e, doing such a massive turn you know heel turn in terms of how you make a character and how you function in your world i felt like it was going to be really hard for my group yeah and i think character creation is actually a really strong point in wildevere because like you said there are tons of things to like tons of different races to choose from but you kind of build personalities instead of classes and that affects your your dice and it makes for these very personalized stories. Yes. So I can get a little into that. So the way Wildebeer character creation works is there are races, but they they do not provide traditional like stat increases or benefits or anything like that. And nothing like the way D&D does races, I think. All a race really informs you of in Wildebeer is what is this character's like specific very high concept magical power yeah because 
in Wildevere's story, magic is pretty new, isn't it? It's new and it's everywhere. So in Wildevere, about two generations before we set the tale, you know, we had an event called the Awakening, and that is this just this sudden shift where seemingly overnight the world went from no magic to suddenly it's just everywhere and very powerful and because of that the world itself had to adapt by like basically trying to catch up you know magic didn't come slowly it came very quickly and it kind of pushed everything as a result 90 percent i'd say of the fantasy races in wildevere were once people they were they're all descendants of humans who just adapted in a strange way to humanity I mean, to magic. And uh, that reaction created the fantasy races. A lot of the races are based more around what kind of magic they adapted to, or the kind of location they're from. Location is actually the second thing you pick. It's, it's not like race and class, it's race and location. And location is where you spent like your formative time. Like, not where you were born necessarily, but where you where you developed and where you would have learned the most. Yeah, and and just from what I've heard of the podcast, there's like a lot of places and there's a lot of major hub cities and there's a lot of ties to one very specific branch of magic, it seems like. Yeah, so there are six major city-states. The podcast is currently in Oa, um, and that is the, the wind city-state. But each of the city-states have a deep tie to one of to a source of magic. Uh, you have Oa, which is wind magic. The city-state of Oa is built into these big plateaus, very, like, Colorado desert, you know? Uh, mixed with just, like, other deserts from around the world. The Stardust Amphitheater in Oa is based on the Red Rock <laughs> Amphitheater. Uh, Crow, one of our writers, is actually from Colorado. So they, like, put a lot of themselves and their experiences growing up in this space into making Oa what it is. And it became the city-state of art as well. And the, uh, the Stardust Amphitheater became a weird cross between Red Rock and... I'm, for I'm forgetting the name of the arena. But there's like, a, there's like a venue where artists know if they performed there, like, you made it. That, that's what the Stardust Amphitheater is to the musicians of Wildevere. It's this really well-defined world. Um... But one of the things that you told me about when we first started talking about you coming on was what I might say is the wildest core rulebook writing session I have ever heard of. Uh, it was, I believe you said, basically done in a weekend? It was a weekend bender, but instead of partying, it was writing. It was Crow and I for two straight days, just bouncing ideas off of each other and being in discord calls and various servers we like moved from server to server but we just kept talking about this and we just kept writing and going and because remember this was initially a one shot for the show so this was going to be my note document the core book was my note doc for this one shot and then it slowly like morphed out of note taking and into like formal writing and it just slowly congealed into a book and then it became our core rules for the game and then we realized we made a game. <laughs> so, so if if I'm hearing you right, this went from a a, a scratch pad to, to an entire system. Pretty much. 
In the span of about 48 hours, yeah. I was telling a friend about this last night, and I said it's the wildest development story I've heard yet. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's the best way for me to put it. The, congratulations, it's a great game too. Yeah, we made it. We made it a thing on accident. I think towards the end of the first day of writing, we realized what we had truly created, and so the second day was way more centralized on making it a game that could function whereas the first day was way more like oh and this would be cool and these kind of creatures would be neat and this would be a cool thing you know and so like because of that i feel like the core rulebook itself has like a weird hard to capture like jovial tone if that makes sense because it was written as a shared google doc there are still little quips in here and there that feel like two people writing a one-shot document <laughs> and i think that that's really cool and i wouldn't change it even though it's become our core rules. Like, there's a there's a bit in the monster section where it's, like, a couple sentences where the header is, what happened to horses? <laughs> and it's, like, it's just so ridiculous, but it's something that I think gives the book so much more charm because there's, like, a genuine answer to that, and horses have become, like, a Bigfoot-esque cryptid because the people of Bolivar only know nightmares from the Fire Kingdom, uh, Hippocampi from the water, like, Pegasi from Oa, and, like unicorns yeah those make sense but a unicorn but it's become a joke a unicorn without a horn that's fake that's not real <laughs> i'm not even gonna joke b that was one of my questions that i had here i was gonna ask you about that sentence exactly <laughs> oh well now you know <laughs> yeah that's it, when we made the crystals <laughs> when we made the crystals and decided they would be our like riding creatures our chocobos our our yoshis you know we were like well what about just horses like what would make someone choose a crystal over a horse you know and we we're like well the simple answer is there just aren't horses anymore <laughs> by horses, <laughs> horses. <laughs> and there are magical creatures that are based on the horse the pegasi the hippocampus the nightmare like the unicorn like oh yeah those are there but no one would ever think about using like a, a hippocampus as a, as a creature to, to ride a carriage on that makes no sense that must be fake that's great um Something else I wanted to say, because you talked about it, the core rule book is really jovial, and that is, you can read that throughout the entire thing. And I feel like one of Wildevere's strengths is, unlike a lot of systems, you can play kids in this game, and it doesn't feel weird. It actually feels almost more suited. And I guess I'm just saying, like, would you lean towards more like the, the young journey when you're starting out a, a campaign for Wildevere? Uh... That's what we did in the podcast. The podcast characters are all fairly young. Um, that's kind of this will not be the this will not be the first time I've done this. Um, in general, first time I've done it tonight, but not the first time in general. And this will not be the last time in this show. I will call your attention to the Pokemon games. <laughs> this will not be the last time. But it's so interesting because like I'll try to describe the world setup to people, and they'll be like, "So like you can just travel this whole world like." And you're young like that's like what about your parent you know and ask all these questions but then all you got to say is like think about it the way pokemon handles pokemon journeys it's fine and suddenly like a light switch flips and people are like oh that makes sense <laughs> like that same level of normalization in the world like yeah no 10 years old yeah you can get a sort of pokemon and just head out there no worries does it make the most logical sense i guess not but also it's literally a fantasy game <laughs> And I think one of my favorite parts, too, about that in general is just 
lightheartedness and especially during what we've been going through with covid too it's just a good change of pace that is very much something that i this was bred out of that that wanting that desire for something light you know and i think i think a lot of people gravitated towards it because of that and also the themes of being out there and there's there's an undeniable like environmental tie in Mulderbeer, I think. Um, something we make very clear in the book is that magic is a natural part of the world the way the ozone or UV rays are natural, or like the way photosynthesis is. It's just an undeniable part of nature ever since the awakening. But because of that, the natural world has a very deep tie to how magic works, and specifically the longevity of it, everyone in Wildevere is a little bit druidic, basically. They are pulling from the world soul to create magic, and keeping the environment uh, healthy naturally makes magic stronger. So that was really fun to do, because it created a, a world where that became an immediate palpable necessity and because of that so much of like the cities are built around the natural world in a really fun way like i mentioned o is built in these plateaus and rather than knock down these like natural landforms the houses are built into them and there's these like ladders and moving like uh sky monorails to get people to and from and the elves and eidolons who live there the sky elves their natural adaptation was wings so they can go up and down these giant like uh just plateaus and fly through these long desert spaces without you know having to walk miles and miles the world changed and everybody had to change with it so they they all became a piece in the ecosystem instead of trying to diverge from it it's really cool yeah yeah that's pretty apt um, looping back to the child question, though, because I know I got off that. I would say if you are going to play this game yourself, there is a story set up throughout um, the core book and throughout the sandbox articles and all these other things. And of course you can diverge from that, but there is very good coming-of-age potential, I will not lie. There is a very youthful feeling, and young characters do make a lot of sense. So I would not stray away from it. I'd definitely lean into it if you want to go for it. But also, nothing in the rules necessitate you playing a child, because every playgroup is different. That might not be something people are comfortable with or want to do, you know? Even though there's not a lot of massive danger to these characters, it just might not be everyone's jam for personal reasons, and that's completely fair. So there's nothing that necessitates a certain age of your character, because, like, even Pokemon is like, oh, once you're 10, you know, and so, like, the implication is all of these protagonists are 10. That that kind of thing isn't here in Wildevere. It's more like, when you want to go, but you can do it when you're young. But it's when you want to go on your journey that you go. You actually, in the, the book, you do mention a little bit about that. The uh, the Monster Helpers, for instance, which is the, the faction that helps monsters that have a lot of stray wild magic in them if i remember properly yeah the monster helpers guild is fun um they're 
So that goes into how creatures work, which is really fun. So because, so the world soul, which is what magic sprouted from during the awakening, is raw magic. And we made the executive decision that magic at its most raw is wild magic. And that when someone uses a pyromancy ability or when a sun elf uses their touch the blaze feature, they're they're taking raw wild magic and shaping it into fire or shaping it into water. They're like honing this natural resource and making it something with their own magical abilities. This is how wild magic surges happen because if you don't do it well enough, you might get a bit of raw magic pushback. Creatures like the fantasy races, humans, etc. can cast, which means they can hone that wild magic into something more specific. Creatures don't do that, mostly because a lot of creatures are based on animals. So instead of being able to like exert that magic via spellcasting, it stays inside them and it like messes with them and they go wild this like feral state where instead of being hostile they're just hyped up on magic and they have a very like magically infused zoomy state basically <laughs> like uh and so whereas with people you can hone it via casting creatures just have to get it out of their system by being active <laughs> so for a predator that might mean hunting for uh, a creature like an aetherling which is just like living magic it might be more just like play so the monster helper guild is less about taking down wild creatures and more like studying them learning what they need to get this magic out of their system and then engaging with them with that to calm them down make them more docile and if needed ward them away from like a busy city street while there's no damage taken in this system there is still like there's still reasonable that a Hydra might not be something you want in town, you know? Yeah, exactly. But there's never any fear of, like, death or physical harm in the mechanical sense. Death just isn't a thing that would come up in your journey. And, like, if a creature hits you, you might, like, in RP, have a cut or something, you know? But you're not going to be like, oh, you've lost 10 hit points and here's this grievous wound, you know, that does these things to your character mechanically. Unless you want to do that, because this game, I think, is very open to, like, homebrew and interpretation. Rules is written, damage and things like that just don't really factor in. Yeah, and in that little bit that you mentioned there, though, it's, you're, you're right, it is super well interconnected. It, it adds a depth to this game that I think a lot of other tabletop games kind of miss out on yeah i think by like committing so hard to something completely different we got to make our own rules a bit <laughs> and that was really fun and so things are tied back to our own rules because we started from the ground up like the journey itself is started by the leaders of the city states and we made the executive choice when we started planning this out that like not only are the city-states aware of the journeys and, like, they have, like, outposts for people to stay and they have, like, restaurants for people to eat on their way if they're part of their journey. We decided that that was because the city-state leaders, which are more like mayors, less like president, you know, they all went on a journey themselves when they were very young. And they all kind of rose up in 
influence in their city-state became the leader but because of that they all have this uniting childhood memory of going out and seeing the world with each other and so Apar, Corentin, Ward, Ember, Noelani, and Ainsley are best friends so there's rarely conflict between the city-states because the people in charge literally have a group chat where they act like best buddies like they're they are friends first it's it's super cute yeah and that facilitated the journey being a thing that everyone can go on because they saw how important it was to their lives so they just wanted to keep make it something that was easier for everyone following them than it may have been for them to get started yeah that's that's some incredible stuff there too i wanted to talk about something a little bit too that was there's a lot of content to this game and you guys are constantly updating and putting out new things and from what i can tell wilderveer's really grown compared to what you started with oh can you yeah. talk about what goes into oh, yeah. yeah can you tell me a little bit about what goes into making some bonus content or some added books and yeah so when we wrote the core document we've talked about this uh, before with other people but we wrote stuff that in our heads if it didn't exist this game would feel wrong if that makes sense we limited we were very choosy about the core book it was like this has to be our necessities of this world because we knew from the start we wanted to do more we wanted to write more but we didn't want to make that like oh well because we want to write more the core book becomes unimportant because like there's stories about like 3.5 edition and other games where it's like there's so many books that the first you know that the player's handbook became so useless and there's like now there's php2 and shit like that you know it's kind of like going down the same direction that 5e's in right now a little bit but yeah in terms of output i would say that we made our book the core book very specifically this is what we need and so that was humans the elves and eidolon which uh each of the elf and eidolon variants are directly linked to the six city states so if you want to play someone who's designed after fire magic it is the sun elf it's fire water wind we separated stone and like nature in terms of like grass and stuff because earth typically does both but it ends up usually being more rocks uh so we so we split earth stone and like trees earth and soil kind of deal and then we did Innovin, which was the city of like progress technology etc but then it eventually became tied to electric magic um because that was cool <laughs> um so that's where you get like the fae the orcs the fae and the orcs are technically the elf and eidolon of nature magic with the orcs being the elf of nature and fae being the eidolon but they took on their own names because they act very differently and then we had some races that didn't really fit but we just were really proud of the halflings and changelings were a reactions humans had that didn't really fit the elf and eidolon mold the created were basically our warforged except people love them and they're awesome and people know they're awesome because why would you harass the literal breed of life you created and then there's the koboloi which were the weirdest race i think they are they're kobolds they're lizard-like creatures who react to magic in a very strange way and we just wanted that one little bit of weirdness 
And that was the core book. As for writing stuff later on, okay, we did the th we did the thing that everyone will expect. We did the we did our necessities. We did everything we would need for someone to play the game. Now we can do whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> and the expansions really are scratching personal itches and doing things we felt like because hey, we're the writers. We can have our fun. Uh, but if you don't like the direction things go, you can always stick to the core book because that book's still very important. At the moment, we have three major expansions. The first two were a weird mix of new setting and campaign book because long-form campaigns are fun. The Twisted Bog was our Halloween book, and that had its own story, which is designed in a way where you can pick apart the mission section and just turn them into one-shots in this new Halloween Town setting. Or you can do this whole story about basically ghost-busting uh, this very... Oh, that's so much fun. Yeah, this very sinister mayor character. The the mayor is the first and so far only antagonist we've ever written for Wildevere. And that was just because it's a, it's a Halloween story. There needs to be, like, some poltergeist some ghost you know like it's just it's just baked into the the ethos of a halloween haunted house adventure and you lose a lot of that fear when there's no um when there's no consequence if if you yeah, don't do it exactly. i will admit the hardest part about lamplight and everything in the twisted bog was how do you beat the mare in a system with no combat we weren't gonna write optional or like Oh hey, here's combat rules for this thing only. That felt very counterintuitive. So instead it became less about fighting the mayor head on and more about exploring this haunted mansion of his and like destroying these things that sustain his dark magic. So it became less of a fight and more of this methodical chase throughout this haunted office. It was very cool. I haven't gotten the chance to look at that one yet, but I'm very excited about it now. Oh, it was really fun. Um, a big theme in the blog is we put a lot of thought into the NPCs of Lamplight and engaging with them and getting their help and helping them in return is probably a surefire way to make this situation much easier for you because they'll have your back. But doing something Halloween was fun because it came out around Halloween. We released it early October of 2020. So it was like, yeah, <laughs> and that had that started the tradition of these big expansions introducing a new setting that is connected to the mainland and the six city states, but isn't on the same island. And in doing so, introducing new items, new magic creatures, and new races. We in the Halloween book got to do races that people really love, but just didn't fit the tone of the mainland. Like, the goblin is very fun, but between the Kobaloi and the orc, there just wasn't really space for them on the mainland, you know? Yeah, it kind of fills the same need. Exactly. But here in this whole new place, where, you know, magic is different, and this is somewhere completely separate, there is no niche to fill anymore, you know? Now it's completely open season. So we had the goblin, the shade, and the shifted, which are much like the D&D traditional shifters. And the shades are basically shadow shadow people. The famous one is Oakley, who shows up in the podcast at around episode, I think, five? 
Yeah, I think in episode five is five or six. Yeah, Oakley's fun. Uh, <clears throat> so you, we just got to play with that, and then moving into December because we were like, oh yeah, we could do Halloween and like the holidays, like Christmas and everything. That'd be fun. We didn't realize how little time we were actually giving ourselves, but I still did it. <laughs> I still powered through, and that's how we got the Frozen Throne, which is this big tundra and whereas lamplight was a small town with a small town problem that had a spooky vibe and places outside of it in this big bog that you don't want to go here in Veyland in the frozen throne it's just all wilderness it is all frozen iced over tundra there was less town stuff to write about and more what the heck are you doing out in this cold and like what kind of people would you meet on the way there's a town, of course, but it's smaller and more sealed in. And instead of an antagonist, the story of the Frozen Throne has you exploring and looking for this myth of something that lives in the ice. And you're fully expecting to go into some sort of eldritch horror direction with like the thing in the ice setup. But the Leviathan is this really cool twist on that, that while ancient and unknowable and powerful in a way that magic in Wildervere can't answer, it's kind. It's seen the world grow, and it's proud of it. And it, like, wants to push the races of men to this good future. And it wants people to be happy and to keep exploring. And it hid itself in part because it wanted to give people a mystery to solve. And it just kind of acts as this watcher who observes the world, but observes it with love. And that was so cool. And in my opinion, like, that ending, that twist, that reveal of what the Leviathan is, I think pushed me to write this book more than any bit of content or story or creature could have. Like, that note and the idea that that was our period on 2020 that that like theme that pushing to get things better was our last note for the year like to me that was important the leviathan was important and that made me right you know well, i'm glad you got something like that b um we're we're starting to get low on time here so i got a couple questions that i kind of want to make sure get asked in every episode um, I know that Wildevere was written during COVID and as kind of a counteraction to how depressing and sad that was, but outside of the actual writing of it, how did COVID affect Wildevere? How is it affecting Wildevere? It's weird. It's good and bad. Uh, the plus side is a lot more time to write. <laughs> um if I were, if, if things were in a more traditional way, I probably would not have gotten any of the content we've gotten out, out, because there'd just be so much else to do, you know? Uh, it's like, there's that! <laughs> but obviously on the other end, there are just days that are hard to get up for a lot of people. I think I'm in a weird, I'm, I know I'm an outlier here, but for me, the act of creation is my comfort space. So, luckily for me, productivity is my coping mechanism. <laughs> that is so convenient and lucky. Right? <laughs> but I know that's not the case for everyone. And, I mean, 
the story of the Frozen Throne was definitely that, because while it's this very hopeful story, and I'm very in love with it, and I think it's my favorite thing we've written for this book, the dev story behind it is one of not being able to know if we could actually pull it off, <laughs> just because we were so tired and burnt out, and that hopeful light at the end of the tunnel, you know, of the Leviathan and that story really was what kept us going, but it was hard, and crow who's usually always super active and focused that just kind of couldn't be there for those last bits because of everything and like it was tough but it made the experience really just something memorable i guess and i don't know i think it's i, I it's weird to say but i don't think wildervere would have worked or would have succeeded the way it has had we not been where we were because it really came as a reaction to it, because it came as a a pushback from the dark. But I, I always feel weird saying that because it feels like I want to think that people would still want this like hopeful feeling regardless. But no, it's just true that it would have worked. I would still have been proud of it, but I don't think it would have been the same. I think that you and the, the Wildervere team, what you've done, and I don't even know if you've realized it totally, is you've given people a lot of hope to do something that's very lighthearted and at its root fun. And there are so many people who wake up. I know that uh, I've had plenty of friends who like that online D&D sessions what kept them going. And to a lot of people, especially in that Discord, there are a lot of people that Wildevere is that for them. So I think you and the entire Wildevere team needs to be really proud of what you've accomplished there. Oh, it's so weird. I, <laughs> I'm such a small point, but saying uh, the whole team just, it, it hits me every time. Because it's like, yeah, because I knew them before we, they were a writing team, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because uh, <laughs> like when I think about, when someone's like, oh yes, this this crew or like they see the credits on the credit pages at the end of our books they must be like wow this must be like a well-oiled team wow what a like look at this group of writers and i'm just like god it was me crow and a couple people who were in a discord call one night and we all just stayed up way too late vibing about like cute Saturday morning cartoon world. It was going to be a webcomic at one point. Crow's going to turn it into a comic. And we're like, eh, nah, that doesn't fit. And like, we we decided that horses don't exist anymore because of a Louis Zong video. Like, we're, we're weird. <laughs> we're not a writing team. We're a bunch of dorks. <laughs> like, that's... But you guys are friends who made something for friends. And that, that's drawn people together. And it's really sweet. Yeah, I can't deny that. It's just... And I will admit to you, to this day, every time someone who's not me does writing for this world, I, like, get this bounce in my step that go, it's not easy to break. I, this is the part where I do this, screw you, midnight. She wrote a, like, four, four one-shot adventure called Monsters in Jardelia, and, like, all by herself. Midnight's great. They wrote this whole, like, four-session mission-based adventure that has, like, a bit of a horror-y slant at the end, but you can completely omit it. They wrote it in such a way where if you want something a little darker, you can get it. But all the stuff that has, like, potential, like, 
fear stuff like blood and things like that are all in a different text and is designed to be omitted without losing the story. That's some tough work. Yeah. So like the safety of the world was super important to Midnight, even as they were taking this like slightly spookier direction. And that's just because that's just Midnight's style as a writer, you know? It was really, it's so admirable. And I always tell people, if you don't want to do a full campaign, but you want to do more than a one shot, play Monsters and Chardelia. It's really cool. There are like weird versions of creatures and like introduce the monster remnant mechanic which i just stole wholesale because midnight came up with it and every time i use the monster remnants in like a, a podcast or in a in an upcoming bit of content i'm always just i always mention midnight as a writer because it's like yeah no this critical part of the world building wasn't my idea <laughs> it's so cool and that interconnectivity between me and the crew it's so nice it's so cool my final anecdote on that, before we can jump into anything else, uh, the characters from the podcast have, at least three of them, have shown up on the covers of our books. That was intentional, and it's a fun little reference we throw in whenever we make a major book, is on the cover you can spot one of the podcast kids. It's just that little bit of interconnectivity. All right, so second last question. There are a lot of people out there, and especially during all this time, they want to make their own game. They want to make their own stuff. What advice can you give them to kind of get them started? The best advice I can give is you're going to want, you're going to have an idea <clears throat> for something, and then you're going to immediately start thinking, this could never work. This is dumb. This is stupid. I've seen it somewhere before. When World of Your started being its own game, I started asking myself, can I call it its own game? This started as a hack of Journeys Away. Do I have to, like, like, what is the, what's the thing here? Do I need to do anything with Purple Aether Games now? Do I need to, like, talk to them about if it's okay? And all these things that held me in a state of, I shouldn't do this, this shouldn't be something I pursue. I think, barring some obvious exceptions, <laughs> go with that dream. Go with what you want to see and what you want to put out there, barring obvious exceptions. <laughs> there are obvious... Legal stuff. Exactly. Don't... I want to make a TTRPG where everyone's an asshole. No. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you, you get my point. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> when it comes to the feel and then, like the soul of your game, that is... Write as if it were a one-shot for your friends. Also, play your game. You wrote it for you. Enjoy the work you put in. That's why we made the podcast. Because if I done all this work for Wildervere and never got to experience, I think I would have, like, I think I would have wrote the core book and then walked away. Because <laughs> there would have been no point for me, you know? It's okay to be a little selfish about your work. You put in the time. You should see some benefit. Even if that means having a playgroup of it with you and your friends, then that's what that means. <laughs> Do it for you and for the people you love. Because that soul is something that cannot be duplicated. That bit of heart that you put into it, you can't go back and add that in the patch notes. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't make an expansion all about the good feelings you want to put into it. That has to come from the start. And if you're making a game because, I guess, 
the trend is making games now, I guess I gotta do that. I would say wait until you have something that really matters to you, I guess? <laughs> and like, once you have it, don't throw it out. Find what you wanna do, and then do it. And who cares? Like, who cares about if it's too similar to another system? You did it your way. Maybe you don't sell it the traditional way. That's fine. Just do it. That's such a- that sounds like such a blase answer, but really, the soul of it will not be able to be designed. It just comes from you, and you gotta know that, I guess. <laughs> I- I love that, B. Thank you so much for- for saying that. Um, and where can people find more about Wildervere and about you? So Wildervere is most of my social presence social media wise I, it's just the way I like it that's just me you know uh, uh, on Twitter we were at Wildervere struck, struck while the iron was hot uh, <clears throat> or picked a name that no one would ever duplicate who knows um, <laughs> is our name obtuse or did I strike gold you tell me <laughs> um, <clears throat> we have a discord server which is probably the most active spot for us if you want to talk about the game it's arguably the most active discord i've ever seen oh wow <laughs> uh <clears throat> if you want to talk about the world if you want to be if you're interested in playing i highly recommend coming here because like i said a couple minutes ago the team of writers behind this are all nerds you can corner me in a voice call and be like Hey, B, how do you feel about that new Magic the Gathering set? And I'll have opinions. <laughs> you can you can, you can, can corner Crow in a voice call and be like, Hey, how did you feel about that new Disney movie or something? I don't know, art stuff. And they'll just go off. We're dorks. Ask Midnight about DC Comics. You will not get out of that conversation. It's fine. <laughs> Ask Fox about their campaigns. You know what I mean? Like, we're friends first. And... Anyone who's joined our server and been active in it, we don't see them as like customers. They're our buddies, you know? It's so weird to, like, to think that they're all consuming a product of ours, because really all this is is us being dweebs. Like the newest book is Pirates and, a, and we're going to do Summer Camp because that's just the stuff we miss, I guess. <laughs> Pirate Summer Camp might be my favorite sentence. Oh, they're separate, sadly, but now that you said it. Uh, we have, we have, we have Deep Season Scalawags, which is coming very soon. Literally all I'm waiting for on that is a couple creatures. Like, everything else is done. We're just working out the details of a few creatures. And then we're going to be doing a summer camp book, which is, like, a little bit of a new place. It's set in Torin, so it's a place people have seen before. But there's, like, some new NPCs, a little bit of a new setup. And then it's all one-shots. You're just doing a one-shot book with, like, a little bit of set with a little, you know, a little babysitting that you can kind of work into the one-shots, but you don't have to. It's it's a little, like, uh, Yawning Portal Adventures or whatever that thing is. Tales from the Yawning Portal Tavern. Uh, yes. Yeah. And lastly, we now have an itch and a Patreon if you want to actually support us, because like I said, we put everything up on Google Docs because, eh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't want to say because, because traditional publishing is complicated, 
but like that's kind of it. <laughs> I'm, I love your honesty with it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, B, this is really good. You could get it formatted. It's just like, oh, oh, that's so much time, time I could be spending writing a summer camp. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know. And then we put it on itch because that's very like user friendly. So if you want them as cool PDFs and would like to in tip for it. We, we have the itch versions on pay what you want so if you would like to give us money we will not say no <laughs> we will likely use the money on art or commissions or other things related to the work that we're doing or donations we've we've donated to various charities as it's seemed important with our patreon money because i don't know you gotta put your money where your mouth is you know <laughs> i just wanted to once again thank you so much b for for coming on um it was an absolute blast having you here not a problem i enjoy babbling <laughs> all right everybody so be take care thank you again not a problem uh, happy to be thank, yeah thank you for sharing all of this uh to you the listener thank you so much B and Wilderbeer, they are already launched, so go and get it because it's free and it is phenomenal. Take care of yourselves. See ya. Thank you so much to B for joining me again this week. The game that he and the others at Wilderbeer made is incredibly fun. It's an absolute pleasure to play, and if you're interested, his socials as well as maybe some places to find it will be linked down below and thank you again to you we have absolutely crushed the 100 download mark at this point and we are heading to the 150 download mark way faster than i could have imagined so if you enjoy this please spread the word the next episode is going to be going live on may 4th where i will be talking to adela designer of the game wisp i hope to see you all there take care of yourselves see you next time